Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 402nd edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world in this our ninth year. I've actually just arrived in Sydney, Australia about an hour ago for an extremely quick, very unexpected family emergency trip. And I'd like to thank the wonderful people at United Global Services for their assistance. It really was appreciated. I hope all our um, US listeners had a wonderful 4th of July weekend. In our case, the next few weeks are going to be dedicated to taking off a few of the pounds we put on with hot dogs, hamburgers and ribs. One thing I love about American holidays is the food. The only trouble is you've got to get it off again, and that's a worry. Before I left LA, I was having a chat to my son Hunter about his student loans. And despite having a great job at Google, paying off student loans when you have good qualifications takes forever. Student loan debt in the US, the UK, Australia, and elsewhere in the Western world is at an all-time high. And the consequences of student loan debt, they have a domino effect and a very detrimental effect on the community as a whole. Millennials are delaying life milestones because they can't afford them. Things like having children and buying a house and those sorts of things, things that are necessary for the economy. And in the US, while wages have increased by 67% in the last 40 years, college tuition has increased much, much faster. Consequently, student debt has now reached record levels. Coupled with the fallout from the recession and a high cost of living, student loan debts made it difficult for millennials to save and has forced them to delay, as I mentioned, getting married, buying a house, having kids, all those things that keep the economy going. Here are some facts that show just how dire student loan debt is. Firstly, in the US, the national total student debt is now over $1.5 trillion. That's $1,000 million, million, which is enormous. College tuition has more than doubled since the 1980s. And from the late 1980s to 2018, the cost of an undergraduate degree increased by 213% at public schools, 213% and 129% at private schools. And that's adjusting for inflation. During that time, annual tuition rose from Nine to 9,970 from 3,190 in public schools and to 35,000 from 15,000 for private schools. Thirdly, more than 3 million US senior citizens, that's people over 65, are still paying off their student loans. 3 million people over 65 paying off student loans. That's ridiculous. And People over 60 owe $86 billion in unpaid student loans. This this one will get you too. 101 people in the US 
owe at least $1 million each in student loans. That is one hell of a lot of money. And these are people that have got multiple degrees and graduate degrees. And so you've got more than a $1 million um, in loans. And it's impossible to pay them off. Adding to the discrepancy of um, of income in the United States, black families carry more debt than white families and they are much more likely to default. Black graduates with a bachelor's degree default on their loans at five times the rate of white graduates. Graduates of historically black colleges had 32% more debt than students at other colleges and most have not paid off any debt in their first few years out of school. So carrying student loans keeps the wealth gap between black and white families startlingly wide. With student debt, young white families had 12 times more wealth as black families. But however, if you eliminate student debt, that gap fell to just five times. I mean, five times is still a hell of a lot, but it's a lot better than 12 times. Up to 40% of borrowers could default on their student loans by 2023. So in the next four years, up to 40%, and we're talking about $1.5 trillion. Now, the rate at which people default on their loans has continued, continued to rise up to 20 years after graduation. And of people who file for bankruptcy, 32% have got student loan debt. It is ridiculous. And uh, student loan debt causes 13% of Americans not to have kids. So we have a huge problem on our hands. And there's parallels between the student debt crisis and the subprime mortgage disaster. Remember what happened in 2008? We had a massive financial crisis and uh, that could happen again if we continue to allow student debt to get out of control. Another byproduct of this is that nearly 50% of millennials with student debt believe that their college wasn't worthwhile. It's an increasing trend and it's really worrisome for the future. You know, when people start saying, well, it's not worth going to college because and getting a better education because I'm never ever going to pay off the bloody loans. People stop going to college. People stop getting the education. The country finds it hard to fill those high-quality, high-caliber jobs, and we're going to have a big problem. So student debt's a disaster. It's got to be solved as soon as possible. And it's really holding up the economies. It's um, interesting that in the Democratic debates, and I'm sure the same debates are happening on the Republican side, but they're just not um, front and centre at the moment, is discussion about eliminating student debt. And that would be a humongous boost to the economy. And there's um, so that's one. And the second alternative is to drop the interest rate. It's ridiculous that the government pays about 1% interest on its money and yet charges students 7 and 8% on their loans. So they could drop those interest rates down to 1% or 
still make a profit on it, and um, the whole economy would be much better off. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about, I think we've got about 1.76 or something like that million daily subscribers, and it takes just 30 seconds to read. Well, that's not really true. Usually it takes about a minute to read. And then it said takes about another minute to send me an email saying either you loved it or you hated it. So you're probably up for a couple of minutes. Every day we tackle a different subject. We talk about advances in medicine. We talk about new apps, new technology, uh, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars. We talk a lot about blockchain and about uh, cryptocurrencies. And uh, in tomorrow's newsletter, I talk about the most common mistakes made by company founders, particularly startups. And after seeing startups from the inside and out, from seed rounds to billion-dollar companies, from board meetings and CEO dinners to coaching sessions and leadership retreats, I've noticed three mistakes that get made by companies time and time again. So I discuss these in tomorrow's newsletter. And I think if you're a startup business or an early-stage business, or even if you're not, it's um, very interesting reading, and maybe there's some tips in there that might stop you from making the same mistakes. The one thing you can trust for the latest up-to-date business information is the Bob Pritchard newsletter. None of that fake news stuff. It's all straight from the horse's mouth, and we tell it the way it is. To receive the newsletter, simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe now, in the United States, the Trump government recently gave substantial tax cuts to the top 10% and little to no breaks at all to the bottom 90%. Now, there's a new open letter billionaires have sent to the Trump administration begging to pay more taxes. In an open letter posted on Medium, they're asking the federal government to take more of their money. George Soros, Abigail Disney... Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes and several other members of the Billionaires Club released a letter pleading for a moderate wealth tax on the richest 1% of Americans. The letter proposes a wealth tax that will be levied against any American household with more than 50 million bucks. And this makes a lot of sense because based on this, if every billionaire paid two cents in every dollar that they have over $50 million, we would be able to give free education, free health care, reduce income inequality, and it would make an amazing difference. That's two cents in every dollar for somebody who's got $50 million or a billion dollars or $10 billion. It's very sensible, very practical, and we should do it. You know, you might remember a few years ago, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates asked for higher taxes on Americans who make more than a million a year. And despite the support from President Obama, the so-called Buffett rule was never passed. So Buffett decided to give his money away. And last year, Warren Buffett gave charities $3.4 billion. $3.4 billion. That is one shed load of money. Now, my interview today is really interesting. It's with Corentin Denude, 
which is a strange name, D-N-O-E-U-D, which you can probably guess is French. And my French isn't that good. Well, some of my French is good, but yeah, I'm not supposed to use it. And uh, he's an extraordinarily successful serial entrepreneur. He's a really interesting guy. He's uh, started two airlines. He's only young. He started an airline. It, it, I think he tells us on the interview. He started an airline with no money and um, <laughs> got the customers and worried about what to do with it. It's really a good story. He's the CEO and co-founder of Blockchain Studio, and their whole purpose is to increase and facilitate blockchain usage, getting more companies to use it, showing them how to use it, showing them how to um, integrate blockchain into their existing business. He's a great guy. I think you'll enjoy it. And I spoke to him in Paris just a couple of days ago. So this is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Corentin in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Where over the past nine years, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. And they're very interesting and they're exciting new initiatives. We talk to the entrepreneurs behind these projects about the services they provide, the challenges they faced, and what we try to do is ascertain what it is that makes them tick, what makes them successful when 99% of all other entrepreneurs fail. As we all know, blockchain has been the impetus between the greatest investment opportunity in history, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Now, I'm speaking with Corentin Denou. That's sort of a mix between bad English and really bad French. Uh, I'm, sp- I'm speaking to Corentin in Paris, and he's an extraordinarily successful serial entrepreneur, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Blockchain Studio. And their purpose is to increase and facilitate blockchain usage while they're accelerating and securing the implementation of decentralized applications for business. As we all know, if you listen to this program, we've been pushing blockchain for 
seems like three or four years or more, and we've talked to you about how blockchain is um, now being used by most banks, by um, stock exchanges, by insurance companies, by a whole wide range of applications. Now, Corrington co-founded WeJet, the largest taxi jet airline in Europe, where he was CEO for 10 years. He's a qualified pilot, and he also co-founded OpenJet, an end-to-end flight management platform for private jet companies. Then, he opened a boutique hotel in the heart of Paris. Wow. So by creating a suite of applications, Blockchain Studio strives to increase and facilitate blockchain usage while accelerating and securing the implementation of decentralized applications for business. Founded last year, Blockchain Studio's first application software suite, Rockside, connects enterprises to blockchain and enables developers to navigate the transition to blockchain infrastructure. That's from building to monitoring applications for production in a scalable and secure manage manner. Blockchain Studio is based in Paris and Singapore. Hi, Corrington. How are you? Hello, Bob. How are you? Good. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Um, at what stage in your life did you decide you wanted to be an entrepreneur? You know, did, not everybody wakes up one morning and decides to start an airline. How'd you get well, into I- I think I was like, um, I was around maybe 10 years old or something like that. And my first internship, you know, you have to do like one week internship when you're uh, very young in France. And I've done it with my, in, in my cousin enterprises, uh, enterprise. He was only one person. So it was one person enterprise and I loved what it did. So I think he gave me the, 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 the entrepreneur, uh, uh, love and, 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 and I want you to make that. So, an airline, I mean, surely one of the hardest businesses in the world, is, after the restaurant business, of course, has got to be an airline. I mean, the only airlines that seem to succeed are the really big guys. So, why would you go into something that's as hard as that? Why wouldn't you pick <laughs> something easy? Yeah, you're right. Actually, uh, uh, Richard Brunson say, do you know how to be a billionaire? Yeah. Uh, how to be millionaire, sorry. You have to be billionaire and, and, and create an airline. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Actually, it was a, um, a school project. I was at uh, HEC Business School in Paris, and someone came to do some market research about uh, new uh, aircraft, which was uh, less expensive, much more efficient. Yep. It was it, it, this aircraft, this Cessna Citation Mustang built by the uh, manufacturer by the largest uh, uh, manufacturer, aircraft manufacturer, private jet manufacturer, were the aircraft that will totally change the world at that time. Um, and I did this project as a case study, and it worked very well. And I say, well, why not? I mean, if it works as a project, we, we, we should and we, we could start now uh, making it real. And this is how it started, actually. How do you... How did you get enough money to start an airline? I mean, one of the biggest problems that entrepreneurs have is raising capital. And I'm talking about, you know, you develop a new app and you're trying to raise a million dollars, for example, and it is really, really hard. So 
how do you how did you raise the money to um, start an airline? Well, actually, that 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 was probably the first uh, biggest difficulty we had uh, at the beginning. So it was in two thousand seven. Yeah. We starting to so we did a business plan and we did some market research, you know, as like a good student do. Um, we were like just two, uh, so we were no, none, none of us know actually anything about about plane. I was passionate about it, but uh, at that time I was not piloting. And um, so we met probably hundred uh, fans. So like hundred pitches and and always the same answers it was like uh, okay look, your project look, looks very good and very promising but uh, please come back when you get one aircraft and when you are like profitable um, so we at some point we were like uh, almost we almost stopped and and then we we said okay um, our clients are like very rich clients so they could be also investors. So that's uh, that's that's a good way to get investors and clients at the same time. Yeah. So we started to to, to pitch to uh, individuals actually. Uh, so started with French people and 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 and, and all, all uh, and even like uh, foreigners and, and so on and like passionate people about about aviation. And then uh, in 2009, actually, I was I was uh, I was around 24 years old. I was minus seven thousand euros on my personal account, so I was super motivating, you know, that time to raise <laughs> money because it was my last choice. Yeah. And we got one guy who say, "Okay, I will invest four hundred k," which was very low, very slow, a very a small amount. Right. But as that was the beginning, and money calls money, as you said in French. I don't know if I say that in American. But uh, and and then more and more people came and then we, 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 we get to a point where we raised two million euros in, in seat so we had no aircraft, nothing. And and, <laughs> um, and, 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 and with eighty people. So that was we actually invented the crowd funding at that time. Yeah, I don't know if it was existing in two thousand seven. Right. Yeah, once you get that first investor it's much easier to get others. It's the first one that's always very hard. Exactly. Exactly. So, and actually, the second reason was at that time before we, we created the company, uh, we we I've created a website, so I was developing I developed by myself where you could like um, order and book a flight from uh, Geneva to Paris, and it was like the company was existing, and someone clicked on the website and asked for quotes. And I sent him the quote, and he answered back and agreed on the quote. Right. And which was funny that at that time we we had no company, we are no aircraft, we are <laughs> no pilots, so Love nothing. It. So we already, you know, get around it was seventy thousand euros, something like that, without any marketing and without cash. So it helped us a lot to get the first euros and the first investors. <laughs> that is a great story. It's a bit like our. It reminds me of um, Bill Gates when he started Microsoft and they were in the garage and um, they had the business in the garage of the house and they had one telephone in and you, when you phoned in, the answer phone said, you know, click, uh, press one to get accounts, press two to get sales, press three, you know, <laughs> and all they had was one phone. <laughs> That's a great story. Yours is very similar. 
you know, you, you start an airline, take bookings, and you don't have a plane. That's, uh, <laughs> I love it. So after that, you started another airline. Sorry? After after the first one, you, you started the second airline. Why? Well, you're talking about OpenJet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, OpenJet was not an airline, actually. You know, we so we started like all the airlines, and uh, the process are super complex in airlines. Right. And when we started it, we didn't even know that it was so complex. Sure. Um, so it's like... Yeah, they, we didn't know that it was impossible, so we made it. I, lo- I love this sentence. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a geek, you know. I'm, I've done in engineering school, and I, I saw that we could, like, automatize many things, like pilot management, aircraft management, all the, um, the maintenance management, or all the things. So I started by myself developing a small tool on Excel and and. and more like PHP uh, application, and then I say, okay, that's that's working a lot for us, and that helps us a lot to to improve our our operation. So we could probably make something that we we can sell to others. So then others we will pay for our own development. So this is how we, we started OpenJet, and it was right. actually a kind of a back office or an, an ERP for a private jet airline. Right. And at that time, all the people, all the planning, so w- when you went to the Bourget, which is the largest airport, uh, private jet airport sure. in France, uh, all the, the planning was, uh, were on a, on a whiteboard, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it means that the, the cleaning lady comes and, 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 and erase everything, you lose everything. <laughs> that, that, that was crazy <laughs> like that. So, so when we, we come to them and with a software, uh, the, the, of course, quickly like accepted it. Uh, it was a long time to 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 change the processes and stuff, but but that that was obvious actually. Right. So then a boutique hotel. Talking of hard businesses, hotels another hard business. What what ever possessed you to go into a hotel? Well, that, that was a, a funny personal story. Um, so. My girlfriend and I were like looking for an apartment in Paris, and and then you know it was a rising of Airbnb at that time, and like a lot of Airbnb uh, uh, apartments everywhere. Yeah. So w- w- we said, okay, let's let's take a bigger apartment, and we cut it in two in two apartments, and we rent one in Airbnb, and then the the the, the rent will pay our our loan. Yeah, um, because I was I was not like I was not rich, uh, and 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 then we saw like a bigger apartment, a bigger one, a bigger one. We saw building, and and then we had this opportunity at this hotel. It was actually already an hotel, but just a small hotel. The the, the, the owner was living inside the hotel, and, and we we saw the condition of the hotel, and, and so that was how we we started this this cool adventure. Actually, that that was pretty cool too. Uh, you know, to offer a cool service to people and you get rewards from, from that. And I, I love this type of business. Yeah, that's great. I need somewhere to live, so I'll um, buy a hotel. I love it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell me tell me about Blockchain Studio. What's it trying to achieve? What is it, sorry? What is Blockchain Studio trying to achieve? Yeah. yeah. So um, we, started, we started first... Um, developing a software uh, to help enterprises and, and, and especially people who are not developers to be able to develop 
a decentralized application and to use blockchain. Um, and then, like, we, we developed this project. Uh, it was working well for uh, training, uh, but no one was were buying it. There were no market for it. Right. But because we had this good um good like advantage of saying that okay we have a software where everyone could uh, we, everyone could, can use it so so we had a lot of uh, meetings with people we probably met hundreds of companies in Europe right and we realized that one of the biggest issue for the enterprises to use blockchain is the connection between what they have today to their legacy system, their application, or what they develop, and the blockchain itself. Right. And when you think about in 1995, um, when you want to do an e-commerce website, you had to develop the website and then find a way to connect the website to the bank. So you had to develop everything, the connection, the transaction, uh, treatment, the credit card, and there are like a lot of credit and that was super complicated. So there were like very few websites. And yeah. then arrived the payment service provider, uh, such as PayPal and Stripe. Yeah. And and now, like I so like in November 2018, uh, PayPal recorded 25,000 US dollar of transaction per second. That's amazing. That's what they've done. It's amazing. And the reason is because it's super easy to use for the end user. It's super secure for the company, super easy for the developer. And we do exactly the same for blockchain. We connect the application to the blockchain networks, whatever networks, and with one software. And that is very easy to use. So you, you develop the interface between their existing systems and blockchain. Exactly. So is it, is it easier to, in the longer term, is it better for the company to do that or get rid of the legacy systems and just switch over to blockchain? Well, of course, at some point, they will, they will get rid of the, of the legacy system on Sure. But you know, it takes time. Like when you're checking and you started talking about bank insurance, and you're right, that's the first users of the blockchain. And we will see more and more other uh, businesses as well that will use blockchain. But so there is like, there will be like some time before they change the switch from one to the others. And what we do as well is that if they want to develop a totally decentralized application, they can develop it. And at some point, they need to connect this decentralized application and this, the interfaces, et cetera, et cetera, to the blockchain. Right. So anyway, they will need a connection to the blockchain. And this is what, what we offer, even to connect the legacy system and to connect the, 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 the new application. Does one of the advantages of blockchain, of course, is that it's um, totally transparent and it's um, very fast. By connecting up to their legacy system, does that slow the whole thing down? I mean, does that, in, to some degree, negate having the blockchain? Well, I think, well, um, like, as an, as an example, I don't know if we could consider Salesforce as a, as a legacy system, but uh, I think we will, we will not see Salesforce uh, be dead in, in the next years. But Salesforce, we use blockchain for specific stuff. 
yeah. uh, for uh, like uh, today, if you're using Salesforce uh, by itself, there's no connection in between different Salesforce clients. And right. blockchain will bring a way to connect all the different Salesforce clients together. So we are like, so the, so the blockchain will, will improve what we have today. Uh, of course, we'll have new businesses and all of that. And in, in, ten, in, in the next 10 years, the 50% of the revenue that will be made through, thanks to blockchain will be new businesses, so business that we even don't know now. Sure. But, uh, but, but there are also 50% that will improve what we have now. So just some improvements. So yeah, we will be big change, but we will be we will see also small improvement. See, with quantum computing coming somewhere, you know, I think it's a lot further away than people suggest. But will will quantum computing take away the need for blockchain? I mean, will that will will you have a situation where you can unravel a blockchain in two seconds, or a tenth of a second, or a millionth of a second with um, with quantum computing? Yeah, that's that's super interesting question. Uh, yet theoretically, yes, the answer is yes. But before that, uh, before uh, it will like uh, read all the blockchain or a general version of whatever, because it will hack the blockchain. It will also hack uh, your bank account, your credit card, uh, maybe your car or whatever. So I mean, there's a lot of things that will be hacked that could be hacked thanks to quantum computing. Yep. So we will improve exactly like we improved, you know, the safety of the security on the card and, and the, the cryptography and stuff. We will improve blockchain step by step. And even as of today, if you are talking about a small, like, little program that makes um, Bitcoin or Ethereum works, there is an update every two weeks. And there will be big change every six months. So we will follow the 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 power of calculation and, and but again like like the credit card and, and all of the things you could i guess theoretically quantum computing could improve blockchain to a point where it couldn't be hacked couldn't it or could it uh you mean improve the blockchain itself yeah the technology yeah. yeah yeah i mean that will push uh that will help us to, to, to improve it and, and the calculation of the quantum computing will make the blockchain much faster, much more efficient than it is now. You know, like in, two years ago, um, there were like these CryptoKitty games, which were like one of the first applications on Ethereum where like people could buy or sell cats and... <laughs> Oh, okay. And there were like a lot of people using it. And at some point, Ethereum, uh, there were like some transactions uh, uh, linked to this uh, just one game, and, and right. the network goes slowly, slower, slower. And at some point, all the transactions didn't go through because of this game. Uh, and, and now, if we start again, they, 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 we already had some, some improvement on, on the blockchain. So now, it would never have happened. So, so yes, quantum computing will, will help that and will probably uh, help to, to use blockchain for things that we cannot do right now. So, yes, that will be a big improvement. So, how does blockchain... Somebody hires you, a company hires you um, to create an interface between 
blockchain and their legacy systems. How do you go about that? What do you do? What do you take into account when you sit down with the with the company? How does how does that work? Yeah. So we have actually uh, two like offers. We have this uh, cloud offer, so it's a, a SaaS version. So there, where you can use, you can log in on our website, and we even have a free version of that, so anyone can can use the system and try it. Yeah. Um, so we have this SaaS version, but for the large enterprises, uh, which our like main clients, such as like big banks, um, uh, utility companies, insurance, and all the stuff. They need uh, like many characteristics such as reliability, security, uh, volume, and integration with all the systems. So that what we do is that they we 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 take Rockside, we install Rockside on in their own infrastructure, and then we protect everything. So then it's integrating with all the security they have already and the IT security they have in the, their own company. In, in a one month or two, we, we integrate Rockside inside their infrastructure and then Rockside becomes become the interface for all the decentralized application that the company is developing. So how, how many companies today, are all companies today aware of how blockchain works and its benefits, or is it we're still in an education process where we're, um, you know, trying to teach people about what blockchain can achieve and what it can't? Well, it it has changed a lot the last two three months. They were like we saw like a big big change um, in two thousand seven two thousand eighteen. Yeah, of course, it was like most of our meetings with company was like free consulting and it was a bit boring, like explaining what is blockchain, blah, 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 yeah, and, sure. and what it could do. <laughs> yeah. and, and so very few revenue and almost no revenue because of that. And then, so we were a bit too much in that. And then in beginning of 2019 and even like Q2 2019, we, we saw big change. And now when people comes to us and knows their project. So they already knows where uh, there is a, a big uh, advantage for, for, for blockchain. They know their project and they know that they don't know how to do. So that's perfect for us because then we bring everything to help them to, to make it happen. Um, so we're like, uh, uh, we save them in a way. We solve the, the, the situation. So there is a big chance. And, and in Q2 2019, we saw like in Europe, especially and in Asia as well. That's why we are based in Singapore as well. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of projects becoming, uh, uh, coming from POC, some proof of concept, yep. to live or at least pilots. Right. Uh, we're starting to see like big transactions. As an example, Societe Generale, a French bank, did a transaction, it was like a month ago, of 100 million euros of, of assets on blockchain. Uh, yesterday, no, it was last week, sorry, um, we, we saw a project in France, uh, which was the, the first uh, crowd crowdfunding for real estate on blockchain. So it was like six point five million. So we start that's to see real project with a lot with a lot of money, and that's that's starting to be cool. But we are still at the beginning. Um, we we consider that less than eight percent of the project are in pilot or production uh, phase. Yeah. Uh, we will need probably two, three years be- before having like real big and big, uh, biggest projects. And the market today is 
say around 5 billion in the world and it will be 125 in 2025 so it's like it will grow a lot in the next in the, in the next in the next month um, so yeah that's, that's a big change right now where when you go into a company or when a company comes to you where's the resi- is there resistance and is it from the is it from the board who are usually older and more conservative? Is it from the financial people who usually don't want to spend money? Um, so does the impetus come from sort of the CEO and the marketing director and you've got to fight everybody else? Well, that, that depends. Uh, so if you're talking about PLC, so just we are most of the time talking to the innovation manager or something. So he have a budget to try and and blah, blah, blah. And, but in this situation, which is funny, is that sometimes the developers block us because they say, we know how to do this. We don't need your software and blah, blah, blah. I say, okay, let's come back. Uh, come, we can come back in one, two months when we try it and when, when you see that that's how easy that you think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's, that's the first one. And then, yes, um, the, second, uh, the second issue we, we face to is most of the blockchain projects are linked to uh, enterprise consortium. So sure. you know, like different companies go together and talk together. Yep. Uh, as an example, we worked for a very big project in France with two, the, the main two utility companies, which are totally competitors. That are the, the biggest competitors ever. And they started talking together. So that's funny because blockchain makes people talk together. So that's pretty cool. And, and, and what was like super long was not like the technical issue, but was the discussion they had together. Uh, but once it was made, because it's like four or five big companies together, they got big budget and then it goes super fast. So that's that's um, usually it's not it's not an issue it's not technical issue or, or budget issue it's, it's more like governance and politics issue. When when two competitors combine like that doesn't doesn't that um, sort of eat away at the heart of competition? If you have two competing utility companies, for example, and they come together um, on an issue like that, does that um, harm competition? Between them, do they get more friendly and more? <laughs> uh, yes. Well, in some way, yes, because well, no. For, I mean, for their main business, no. <laughs> but usually, usually, like blockchain brings like new things. As an example, this project was to certify um, the invoices because you, we use in France, we use those invoices, those utility invoices, you know, to open a bank account and so on. So that was for sure. certifying this. So there was like not real competition in between that. And the thing also is that blockchain, because you don't have such party, there's no issue about who will take care of it. That's yeah. everyone and no one in a way. Yeah. That yeah. there's no like such parties. There's no so there's no so it's not like okay one wants to bring his own third party or the other one wants to but no it's like every everybody gets the same. So that's that. Yeah, in some way they get friendly, and and blockchain creates the friendship in between the two competitors. <laughs> okay, um, who are your main competitors? It is is it a very competitive market? Well, um, since uh, exactly like the fact that there are like more and more life projects, we, we see more and more tools 
like we are developing. And so like every day, you know, we have a Slack in the, in the, in the, in the team. So everyone is, we, we talk often. And every day, almost one of the, one of the person of the team, like see, put, put a link and say, oh guys, look, one competitor more, one competitor more. And which was funny that I, I lived exactly the same when, I, when we started widgets. Because, you know, it was the beginning of this small private jet. And so there were like many competitors, but like probably 95% of the competitors who had website, they never, they never flew. We yep. even saw a, a company raise 70 million euros right. and they spent all the money and they didn't have enough to pay the first aircraft. That was crazy. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah. I think it's going to be the same for the, for the software and, and I think, but which is true is that um, we started to see Microsoft, uh, IBM, Amazon, uh, starting doing developing uh, a system kind of what we do. The big difference we have is that we are totally independent in terms of cloud um, and w- we do not lock our our clients. So if they want to start using our service, then they could start. And if they want to remove it, the blockchain will still continue working, which is the most important. But then they will need some other service to probably to, to find, but or they will have to develop themselves. But uh, if you use this IBM, uh, for example, blockchain platform, then you are locked. Right. And, and as a startup, we are much more agile. So when we have a client, we, 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 we like got it. Like we are very quick in, in, in making like new features and that stuff. So, so we think that, that that's a good actually uh, point on the fact that the fact that this big company is starting on yep. this business that's for us a good thing because they will probably help to train and to to um, teach to the market. Uh, that we need this, this type of tool, and then we think that in some way we could have like some much better features, and because we're a smaller team, uh, uh, probably uh, more like uh, 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 we know we don't have choice. We need to make it. Yeah. So, 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 so we need to go fast. So that that's the big difference. So, what are the um, what do you say that? I guess there's a lot of regulatory issues. What are the biggest obstacles that you think you're facing with regard to regulations and government? Well, yeah. And, and if we're talking about like France as an example, there are like a lot of discussion and we have like a lot of meetings with deputy and, and so on. So as a, one of the first like blockchain startup in France, we were, we were in contact with them. So that's pretty cool. And we help them to, to move, uh, to to move the unit the law and to change the law. Um, one of the biggest issue at the beginning was that blockchain was equal to crypto and to Bitcoin at the beginning. Sure. And Bitcoin, like as an example, for banks had a very bad uh, image. But then uh, people start to understand that blockchain is not only crypto; it could be also like system to do trustability or whatever and 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 then uh, the, this image of this bad image of blockchain is a bit changing but then there is another issue um today if i go to if i have like a um, a conflict with someone i could use my email as uh, as a proof of discussion or something like that yeah today if i have a conflict with someone this is very hard to use the blockchain and 
and and and whereas it's it's much more immutable, it's much more secure, and and it's it's a it's a much better proof. Sure. So that that will take time, you know. This will take time. Uh, but we we see that uh, in France, as an example, there are like a lot of uh, deputy uh, and, and people who are working on this, and it's moving quite fast. So uh, I think next year um, there will be there will be big change on, on the law. And and the other thing also for the bank, the um, opening of Libra, this uh, crypto from yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that make all the banks now worry about the fact that they need to go on crypto. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So thank you, Facebook, for that. <laughs> yeah. Corentin, we're, we're out of time, unfortunately, but thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, to yeah, contact Corentin or to find out more information, visit rockside, R-O-C-K-S-I-D-E dot I-O. That's rockside. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 402nd Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. And we're coming at you on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting today across the world in my temporary studio on the shores of Sydney Harbour in Sydney, Australia. As I mentioned, got in here for a very quick trip, arrived about an hour ago and uh, just here for a family issue and then out again and back back to LA. So next week we should be in Los Angeles again, all going well. Now, companies are always looking for ways to save money and sometimes the answers on how to do it are not obvious. Most companies think that by cutting back on their existing operation structure, a bit here and a bit there, they can save money. Often it takes a really radical rethink to be able to do that. Take UPS, for example. I don't know if you've noticed, and you probably haven't, but UPS drivers, you know, they're the big brown trucks that tootle down every street half a dozen times a day. They never turn left. Never. They only do right turns. And uh, this change seems trivial, doesn't it? But it's actually saved them tens of millions of dollars. That's a really radical rethink. I mean, you're sitting around a table saying, geez, we've got to cut costs. And if somebody piped up and said, well, we're only going to turn left in the cars, everybody would say, you are a fucking idiot. What do you mean you're only going to turn left? That's ridiculous. Well... If you take time to follow a UPS truck along its route, you'll notice that it avoids left turns. Now, this isn't a philosophy based on some superstition or something. It's the result of a complex mathematical equation. Engineers map out every route and provide right turn only directions to drivers. 
So how much could you possibly save by having your delivery trucks never turning left? You wouldn't think you'd save much money, would you? But UPS's routing software shaved 20.4 million miles off their routes last year. 20.4 million miles saved by just turning left. Sorry, never turning left. They also delivered 350,000 additional packages. It diminished CO2 emissions by 20,000 metric tonnes and it saved 10 million gallons of fuel. So all in all, it saved somewhere between 50 and $100 million because they never turned left. That's pretty extraordinary. What happens is essentially UPS software takes into account a variety of factors to determine the best way to get from A to B. One of these equations is working inside the UPS truck to help drivers find the best possible way to deliver their packages. The UPS vehicle routing software determined that turning left is a huge waste of time and money. Of course, this rule only applies where vehicles drive on the right-hand side of the road. If you're driving, driving on the other side of the road, well, it's a different thing. You, drive, you never turn right. So how does it save $50 million by never turning left? Well, turning right decreases safety hazards. It reduces the chances of an accident and it eliminates time waiting for traffic to make a turn. So not only does sitting at the corner waiting to turn cause delays, but it also wastes fuel. And if you've got millions of trucks out in the road, that's a hell of a lot of money. And if a driver's stuck waiting for traffic to pass with the left blinker on, it's going to set them back time and use fuel. Also, they'll be jutting out into traffic, and that's a good way to get sideswiped, particularly when driving a great big truck full of packages. Making an occasional left turns unavoidable, but in the case of UPS, left turns make up considerably less than 10% of all UPS truck turns. So just think if everyone decided to give up turning left, this could translate into massive savings on fuel, reduced carbon emissions at this time of climate crisis and a hell of a lot less accidents. Just think of the time that would be saved by eliminating weights on intersections. One-way streets, traffic lights could all be reprogrammed to make traffic travelling quicker and much easier. Now, of course, people are unwilling to make changes to their normal patterns. If you said to people, you can never turn left there would be an uprising. But it would make a hell of a difference. So, however, for those prepared to consider a change, it would appear that eliminating left turns could be your smartest decisions. Not turning left, simple way to save tens of millions of dollars, as well as helping to save our fragile planet and cut down on the use of fossil fuels, and it's ingenious. You know, people sit around saying, Let's cut down on paper clips. Let's cut down on paper. Let's use less toner. 
well, just cut out left turns. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. So if, if, if you're li not living on the edge, get out of the road, let somebody get past you that wants to achieve. And if you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be really bloody boring. And you'll never know just how amazing that you can be. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard in Sydney, Australia. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.